Hey, Michael, uh, this is a different week for us for advertising. Is this episode brought to you by Sperry's? Hell no, those are garbage. <laughs> all right, all right. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another exciting episode of Mixtag. It is your boy, the Wrestling Encyclopedia himself, Mr. Keith White. And I have with me, I'm going to go ahead and turn the music off because this is important. He needs his own intro music. I've got the Muscle Hamster. I've got from Splaying Yourself podcast, Mr. Sorry, Dr. Michael Blum. Blum, what's going on, man? How are you? Hey, Keith. How are you? I'm doing good, my brother. Oh, man, it's good to have you on, finally. That's so right. We talk, we've been talking about this for a little bit. Yes. And, I mean, this for me, this is an unbelievable honor. Between the leg wrestling discussion and following in the footsteps of Greer White, I mean, this is more than I could have asked for. I mean, listen, as far as the leg wrestling goes, you know, I'm still upset because I lost my title in Dewey Beach to Dirty Dave. And, you did. Uh, I, I, I haven't been the same since. You haven't been the same since? And have you had a chance to win it back? Uh, I mean, I did, you know, because I was in his general vicinity and uh, nothing came of that. Uh, you know, he, he, didn't, he didn't step and I didn't step. And uh, But, you know, if you listen to previous episodes, he's come on before and uh, left me some pretty strong, uh, you know, wear a little, little mail and things like that. It's been nice. Uh, <laughs> you, know, you know, he even came on the 100th episode at the very end to uh, let me know, you know, just how much of a bitch I am. Oh, I, I mean, like you had, you should have done something. He came onto your show and cut promos on you. And then you just, when you saw him, you didn't even say like, Hey, let's lay on our backs and touch our hamstrings. I mean, there may or may not have been, uh, alcohol involved and you know how that goes. Uh, you know, I, I didn't have my blue chew that day. So <laughs> <laughs> that all sounds like better reasons to leg wrestle <laughs> alcohol. You, you didn't have blue chew. I, I kind of want to do a leg wrestling match with blue chew and just see what happens. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that'd be, that'd be ter- terrific. <laughs> I don't know if dirty Dave wants to do that. Oh, he it's does. Like, yeah. I mean, I know he does, but like, you're gonna have an extra leg advantage. <laughs> He, you're gonna be, he's going to be using one leg. You're going to be using two. Um, you know what? It's called a handicap match. That's <laughs> fine. That's fine. I mean, I don't know. It's a little awkward. And, like, in in some places, that might actually make you married. I, 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 mean, I, I don't know about the rules and stuff, but, like, poten- it could be. P- potentially 18 states. That's what, that's what I understand. All right. Well, I mean, you could do worse. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm with you. Let's... Yeah. Uh, Let's let's kind of like sort of get focused here. Okay, all right, let's get uh, a little bit, a little bit. Um, right. But we are here because you, my friends, uh, you are one of the most knowledgeable and analytical people that I know when it comes to the world of mixed martial arts. And you also happen to be a uh, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner. I am that. Yes. Uh, higher ranking than me now. No, 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 not bitter at all on my end. Uh, you know, I'm proud of you. Thanks, friend. And, uh, you know, so you, you have this mind. You have this, uh, you know, you, you are in this world, and, and you are definitely one of the most uh, the most knowledgeable people I know when it comes to analyzing fights. And well, Thanks, friend. Yeah, the world of professional wrestling has this cool crossover section of mixed martial arts practitioners. It has for a while. And last week we did the episode about the world's first mixed martial arts uh, match, you know, for for most people's opinions, Muhammad Ali and uh, Antonio Inoki. And so I thought it was fitting that we bring in the world of professional wrestling also with the more modern times for this. And what better guest host for me today than my friend, the muscle hamster, Michael Blum. Yes, I'm happy to do it. Um, I've never seen all of that fight he did with Inoki. Don't. Don't. Well, it's... so... It's not good. I understand. I know he lays on his back the whole time. Yes. But think about two things. A, that was what, in the 70s he did that? Yes. Think about how far ahead of his time that was. Yeah. And two, think about the genius of Anoki's strategy. 
I mean, it's a great strategy, but also Dirty Dave lies on his back all the time, and he's a champion. So you know, yeah. there's, there's got to be something to be said for that. that that's, that's true. But if you're a Noki, aren't you just going like, cool, I don't want Muhammad Ali punching me, and I'm right. not going to be involved in a stand-up match with him, right. so what can I do? I'll lay on my back and kick his shins, Yeah, and I'll take no damage, and whatever I can do will put me ahead of Muhammad Ali. Uh, if you get if if you get the chance to listen to the episode, if you haven't yet, yeah, uh, he actually he actually almost killed Ali because of the blood clots that formed. No, I didn't know. I didn't realize that part. Yeah, and and Matt Brown, fantastic uh, analysis himself last week. Um, he actually ca- uh, gave some insight where he actually and I kind of I might I tend to agree with him now that I thought about it in this angle. He says that 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 fight actually might have caused some of the damage to Ali's leg speed like took away some of you know like sure you know his his footwork in later fights which led to his decline and i had never thought about it from that vantage point until he brought that up and brought up the damage that was actually done you know people people didn't realize what was actually yeah. at stake there so yeah and leg kicks the value of leg kicks has only been in the last five or seven years that people have really have you ever been kicked in the shin uh when i was a kid no, I mean like as an adult kicked by another adult. No. Even at low speed, it hurts. Yeah. Like if you let another grown man kick you in the shins full speed, I guarantee you, you crumble. Okay. So I completely see where uh, that would be damaging to yeah. Ali in the long term. Especially, like, do you remember when uh, Pedro Hizo just kicked the crap out of Randy Couture's legs? They couldn't walk for six months. Yeah, yeah, like that kind of stuff, and nobody would have known in Muhammad Ali's time, like how to deal with it, the recovery right. from it. Right. Uh, and by the way, they can't see it yet, and this eventually might make the air on the on the uh, you know on a, on a streaming service. But uh, you have a sweet Run DMT Run DMC T-shirt going. Yes, on sir, right the King of Rock. Yeah, baby. Shout out to my man Rev Run. Finished up as one of the greats, then got with the Lord. What a career path. Also, world's world's funniest reality show. Oh yeah, Ron's house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We watch it all the time around here. Tell <laughs> the kids to keep it funky. Makes me laugh every time. <laughs> they don't even know what's going on. So good. Uh, finally, we're going to get to the today's topic. Okay. Uh, we, we have been working around it here. Yes. Uh, we have we chose five, and we're going to kind of do this at random, in sure. no particular order. We chose five uh, mixed martial arts, either. Either pro wrestlers or mixed martial artists who who went to the other, one or the other, right? Right. Um, and and they're, and they're in no particular order, and they're in no particular um, ranking for us necessarily. But we just thought that they were. I, I'd say I'd say the five major, right? The, the, yeah. The, with the most impact in at least one of their careers, if not both. Yeah. So so without further ado, let's go ahead and get into this. All right, so what we're going to do, Blum, is we're, we've got people who were in pro wrestling and MMA. But what we're going to do is we're first going to talk about uh, two of the athletes who made their career in mixed martial arts first. And these are, on the list, these are two of the older gentlemen, uh, the older participants in mixed martial arts, pioneers. Right, yeah. And the first one we're going to go ahead and kick off is Dan the Beast Severn. So if you wouldn't mind, jump us into the career and the legacy of Dan yeah. the Beast Severn. In, so in MMA. Dan Severn was an All-American college wrestler, and he was an Olympic alternate for two years in the eighties. Um, he was a heavyweight wrestler. The Dan Severn was one of the early pioneers of mixed martial arts, and he was a UFC heavyweight champion. He also fought in some other organizations. Dan Severn and Ken Shamrock, to me, are representatives of this older generation of people who wanted to be martial arts fighters but couldn't make enough money basically so they're looking to sort of uh, like make a living being physical and do something combative but they were probably making uh, in the early ufc days a couple thousand bucks for a fight it's just not enough to sustain yourself so as like your side hustle that's keith white style side hustle um you go into professional wrestling the 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 buildup is that Dan Severn and Ken Shamrock are real life tough guys, right? And now you can 
they already have like a character built for them, right? Shamrock's thing was like, I'm the world's most dangerous man. Uh, he wasn't exactly that, but he was a very, very good and in many ways ahead uh, of his time UFC fighter. Uh, Severn had more of like a traditional wrestler, early wrestler style, which was to take you down and lay on top of you and beat on you, which is not so exciting for uh, professional wrestling. Um, but Shamrock, he was one of the early guys to introduce submissions, like different submissions to the to the UFC. Remember, he was into ankle locks really early, and those have started coming back around again. Um, and he wasn't Ken Shamrock was like a full time fighter. A lot of those guys in the early days they did something else as well. And he opened like the first famous gym called the Lions Den. And that set you up perfectly for a persona. The other thing that Ken Shamrock had, and that's the difference between him and Frank, Sh and not Frank, Frank is his brother, and Dan Severn, was Ken Shamrock was probably taking a lot of steroids. Right. He was very physically, he looked like a like a action figure, basically. Um, and that also translates well to professional wrestlers. I'm not saying any professional wrestlers are on steroids, except for the part where they look like they're on steroids a lot. Right, yeah, of course, they they clearly are not. Uh, they had a steroid trial to make sure that we knew they're not. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah, of course. Of and course. In, the, in the early 2000s, when Ken Shamrock was in the WW, was WF back then, I bet he was not taking steroids. No, uh, no. You are correct. There's no possible way every single part of that body was natural. Um, yep. It was vitamins and prayers, just like Hulk Hogan told us. <laughs> that's, that's right. Um, so, you know, you mentioned you mentioned Dan Severn. Uh, you mentioned Ken Shamrock. So we're just going to go ahead and interchange right. and talk about them right. both right. You know, as a unit. Yeah. Uh, Dan Severn, it's funny you mentioned, you know, his style in the UFC was not particularly exciting. Uh, neither was his wrestling. Uh, he, you know, he, he went, he had a little bit of time at WWF, but it mm -hmm. did not translate. Uh, but what was neat, this is cool. He was the NWA, the National Wrestling Alliance uh, World right. Heavyweight Champion. Uh, he brought his NWA belt and his UFC belt onto WWF Raw, so like the actual audience could see both of them. Right. Um, you know, Jim Cornette's holding it up like a like a uh, like a prize fight manager, um, and it was so neat because I remember watching UFC back when it was pretty much outlawed. I mean, you know, it was it was on pay per view, but like you know it. You weren't supposed to watch it. It was those are called the dark ages in UFC yeah, history. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and I remember Dan Severn winning, you know, mm -hmm. and, and and becoming champion, and also holding up the NWA Heavyweight Championship. And I'm just sitting there. I'm like, this is cool. And it, and it kind of made it made it almost seem legitimate. Like, oh, this is a real wrestler's belt because Dan Severn has it. He's yeah. a two time NWA World's Heavyweight Champion. Um, he held the NWA title for four years. Uh, and that is actually the longest reign uh, in in over two decades, and it's currently the third longest in the belt's history. Huh. He basically, at the time, the NWA was struggling. Shane Douglas famously threw it down in uh, in Philadelphia and declared it a dead title, and held up the ECW championship and declared it a world championship, and thus we got the birth of Extreme Championship oh. Wrestling. Oh uh, boy! Yeah, a uh, little history there for you. But Dan Severn basically kept the NWA afloat. Uh, and, and, and he was a traveling champion and, and for them, it, it, he was the best that they had. And, and I don't want to diminish his career, but in terms of accolades, you know, he's a member of the, the cauliflower uh, alley, you know, club and things like that. And, but, but out of the careers that we're going to talk about, he definitely has the least accomplishments on gigantic stages for pro wrestling sake. And how were his mic skills? Atrocious. Yeah. That's the other thing. Is I've heard Dan's ever interviewed. I'm sure he's like a nice fellow and very personable. And he's what probably in his sixties now. I still whoop on my ass real bad. Yeah, I mean um, his his mustache could beat up the both of us. Yeah, <laughs> yes, it sure could. Um, but that was I don't see that as a great, you know, like I feel like having good mic skills is like a pretty huge percentage of being a good professional wrestler. Correct. And uh, <laughs> I don't think that's good. That's a good. That's not a good for his skills. No, and uh, he, the good thing for him, too, he was important in getting the NWA championship back to the United States because it eventually made its way to Japan. Japan, right, yeah. And uh, 
for him to get it back, it, he was he was scheduled scheduled to and didn't make the cut, but he was scheduled to have the the belt uh, for the first NWA TNA Total Nonstop Action uh, pay per view with Jeff Jarrett started that company up. But what's interesting is the that belt became up for grabs during that pay per view, and a guy named Ken Shamrock actually won it. So yeah. Ken Shamrock was the initial the inaugural NWA World Heavyweight Champion for. NWA TNA, but he had a really good uh, little solid career for the WWF as well. Yeah, he did. Uh, so let's go ahead. I'm going to go ahead and go over a few of them. Uh, the 1998 King of the Ring winner. Uh, he was the WWF Intercontinental Champion twice. WWF Tag Team Champion with uh, a guy named the Big Boss Man. Never heard of him. Yeah. Um, and then uh, he's also in the Impact Hall of Fame. That's the Wrestling Hall of Fame that he's in right now. Uh, and what's cool for him is you know, they, they have this thing, I don't know if you're familiar, but they call it the Forbidden Door. And basically, it's like the multiverse of, you know, guys who go different promotions. Oh, he was okay. he was able to get Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who's known for the WWE, to go on Impact and induct him, uh, you know, via via satellite into the uh, Impact Hall of Fame. So, which is uh, not an easy feat. You know, like, he's the biggest star in the world. The right, biggest, yeah. biggest action star, the biggest celebrity I think we have. And... Um, so it was kind of neat to see that happen. The other thing that I remember about him being a pro wrestler, besides him being so full of steroids, was you remember when he was feuding with The Undertaker? Yeah. I, I can't remember how they got to this point, but like, I was like 19 and not very smart um, watching this, and then The Undertaker was doing something, I don't know, whatever, coming, kidnapping St Stephanie McMahon, Yeah. and then he started calling him Mark. <laughs> Do you remember this? Because <laughs> he and I was he, like, "Wow, he, that must really be serious." He used his real name, like this is really happening. Uh, he also was not the world's best promo. He was the world's dangerous man, but yeah, uh, yeah, definitely a loose cannon for promos, and and didn't exactly set the world on fire. He was supposed to, you know. They there's a uh, if you all want to listen to another podcast that's really good, um, something to wrestle with Bruce Bruce Pritchard. Uh, they have a Ken Shamrock episode way back in their archives. But but uh, Ken Sham Shamrock was actually earmarked at one point. They were going to make him world champion. Now something just didn't quite match up. If it wasn't, uh, you know, just maybe missing some dates or like not putting all the pieces together. But you know, it, it eventually he just was kind of not the guy and decided he wanted to go back and do some more UFC. So, uh, you know, his career was short but memorable. That's the best way I can put it. Yeah, and he fought professionally for a long time. Mm -hmm. Like he started. He fought, did he fight Kimbo Slice? May God rest his soul. He did. Like in 2012 or something? Uh, for Elite XC. Yeah, so he fought Kimbo Slice. He started fighting like in the early 90s. Mm -hmm. And then he fought Kimbo Slice. He must must have been in his 40s, like in 2012. Uh, he, was, he was on that good growth. By yeah, he was. You know, and he still is. I mean, the guy's still absolutely ripped and jacked. Yep. Um, you know, he, he looks he's the kind of guy who looks like he could get in the ring today. Um and he's and he, he actually was, you know, doing some work just a couple of years ago in Impact Wrestling. So, you know, he, he has quite the legacy in both sports. Um, you know, he had I mean if you know, did didn't he have he had a great, great feud with Tito Ortiz, correct? Yeah. That was one of the early ones. So that was like Probably UFC, I want to say in the 20s or the 30s. We ended up losing to Tito Ortiz, but that was like a changing of the guard moment, right? right. Yeah. Shamrock was in very early, and Tito Ortiz was of that second generation. Right. Him and Chuck Liddell and Randy Couture. And that was like a passing of the torch moment. Right. Yeah, was, that was a really important moment in martial arts history. Yeah. UFC history, definitely. I mean, he he's he's one of those guys that, kind of transcends uh the ufc you know he you have to you have to mention him when you talk yeah. about mixed martial arts yeah um you know certainly on everyone's list in terms of all-time greats yeah the uh, other thing i don't get think he gets enough credit for is he was the first one of my recollection or knowledge to open like a brand name mma gym yeah like yeah. you knew like the guys went to the lion's den to learn to be fighters and then it was like the Militich Fighting Academy, and now there are a bunch of shoot-a-box, and now there are a bunch of gyms. His was the first one, as far as I'm concerned. 
And he was training other good fighters there as well, so he gets credit for that. Uh, I bet what went on there was real brutal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm, not, I'm guessing those were not the safest training uh, conditions. And it's neat because uh, God rest his soul, he actually had a Lion's Den match with Owen Hart when they were having their feud uh, yeah. for, the, for the Intercontinental title uh, back in the WWF. So, yeah, uh, yeah, that that Lion's Den idea has and that brand has been around for a long, long time. Yeah. And so he gets, uh, he gets credit for that because back in the day, it's not like you could go to a gym and fight and find people to train you at mixed martial arts with. Right. You know, you might be able to go to a boxing gym or go to a go to a jujitsu gym or any of that kind of stuff, but the idea of finding one place where you can do all of these things together was new, right? Yeah, absolutely. And we should, we might as well just go ahead and kind of put a bow on those two gentlemen, and then kind of head towards the next generation yeah. of of uh, mixed martial arts superstar turned pro wrestler, and that is going to be Rowdy Ronda Rousey. Yeah. Rouse, Ronda Rousey is very much the opposite path, in my opinion, and she was she was the person who made the switch who was most um, prepared to be a heel. So for those, if you don't know who Ronda Rousey is or her story, she's one of the great American judo practitioners we've ever had. Her mother was a great American judo practitioner. Um, when she got done, she won a gold medal in the Olympics. She came to... Uh, WW or sorry, she came to UFC, and for five years she was the biggest thing in the UFC, sort of pre Conor McGregor. Um, she looked unbeatable, right? Um, and she had this armbar that looked un unbelievable. Um, she could get to from any position, any angle, uh, any kind of weird scramble, and she also had knockout power. Um. So f she looked like kind of she was akin to Mike Tyson uh when in his prime she was in her prime she was also really feared uh and for that 5 years she was the biggest thing the sport had going Ronda also did movies um but the thing I think that made her so successful as a professional wrestler is Ronda Rousey's real mean right she has a really bad attitude. <laughs> yeah. Like the, there is this, and this isn't going to mean a ton to people who aren't familiar with the UFC, but there was this long running rivalry between her and this woman whose name is Misha Tate. And Misha Tate was like, I mean, she's a tough woman, but she was kind of like feminine and she would do modeling shoots and she was like polite, you know, like she was a good sport and Ronda Rousey was a much better fighter than she was. Right. But because she was like Ronda Rousey's closest rival, she would do just like the meanest, most aggressive stuff to her for seemingly for no reason except for you're a maniac. There's a very famous scene from The Ultimate Fighter where they're coaching against each other and the lead up to one of their fights. The Ultimate Fighter is the, like the reality show. Um, and they're having like a rock. Do you remember this, Keith? They're having a rock climbing challenge. Yes. So the coaches are gonna they're gonna see who can scale this rock wall the fastest, and the winner gets like ten thousand bucks for their team or something. I can't remember what they get. Uh, Ronda, it's a close climb. Ronda Rousey beats her, jumps off the wall, and as she's carabining down, just sticks her middle fingers up in Misha Tate's face. Uh, she wouldn't shake Misha Tate's hand at any point during their matches, even when she would win. Which I think they fought three times, right? And she. Ronda won all three times. Right. Probably not pretty, like pretty clear decisions. Um, and she continued with this behavior whenever she would fight any of the other women. Is with like I don't even know what you would call it, just like really aggressive towards them and kind of mean. Um, and this makes you the perfect WWE heel. Yeah, absolutely. Um. um the thing I always thought was interesting about Rousey is she, she didn't really need the money, I assume, from that good run. And then she was in big budget. Remember, she was in the was that movie called The Expendables? Expendables, yep. Mm -hmm. She was, yeah. So I'm sure she did well, but I think she still wanted to express that side of her. Right. So yeah. what, what happened, basically, and I mean, you can back me up here. Yeah. Uh, you know, she ran into. Uh, a problem 
where her her coach like she she evolved in mixed martial arts and then but the, but the rest of the division caught up with her yeah and, and her coach didn't prepare her as well no. so she got she got brutally knocked out by holly Holm, and when that happened i think that her confidence just shattered um you know, and and we saw a shell of a of a, of a fighter after yeah, that. Yeah, she had one. She had one fight after that was like a historic upset when Holly yeah. Holm kicked her in the head. Yeah, and you can see in that fight she didn't have a plan B. Her right. whole strategy was based on coming forward, grabbing you, and armbarring you, which worked right. really well until you met Holly Holm, who was a also a great fighter and a really great boxer. Right. So for Holly Holm to take the proper footwork cut angles and move out of the way was no problem. And then there's one point in which she came charging in for like the 10th time. Holly Holm uh, knocked her down with a couple punches and she got up, kicked her right in the head. Yeah. And that was like the biggest upset in UFC history. I don't know, second biggest upset in UFC history behind when Matt Sarah beat George St. Pierre. Um, but it was much more public. Yes. Because when Matt Sarah beat George, it was sort of coming off the dark ages. Ronda Rousey was, I don't know, one of the most famous sports figures in the country at that point. And when she lost to like this person that nobody knew about, it just it, like the the flames went out in the passion. She had one more fight against Amanda Nunes. She looked terrible. Just took a bunch of punches in the face. And then she married uh, that guy's name was Travis Brown, and they yep. moved to Hawaii. And then I think this is my my guess is that she still sort of missed that being able to compete. And so, and this is where I'll turn it over to you. She doesn't go, she doesn't wrestle regularly, right? So right now she kind of does, but when she first started, she was definitely an attraction. Right. So, so she, and actually she took some time off, I, th I believe, uh, I believe to start a family. Mm -hmm. um, but where, where I, I want to go back and just kind of get a little profile of her. Yeah. I think that a gigantic chip on her shoulder formed because she was the strike force women's champion and, and Dana White did not have a women's division from no, the UFC. I, yeah, and he, and he said he, and he said he never would. Right. And that just made her so angry. She was already like a competitive person, a hyper competitive yeah. before. But that's when everything when she finally like got the chance to be the UFC, it was almost like you can't deny me now. And yeah. she and she you're right, she was a natural, natural heel. Um, but when she came into the WWE, she actually came in uh, as as a babyface uh, hmm. because she was going up against uh, Stephanie McMahon, which of course you're automatically, you know, going. It, it was I believe it was Kurt Angle and uh, and Ronda Rousey and uh, Triple H and Stephanie McMahon. Uh, but that didn't last long. Uh, she also got the rowdy nickname um, bestowed upon her with the blessing yeah. of, of either Roddy Piper or Roddy Pe Piper's family. It was Roddy. Um, I've heard her tell that story. It was Roddy yeah. Piper. They yeah. they called him and asked him. And 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 he and he was one of the all time great heels, um, you know, of all time. Just knew how to generate tons of heat and just yeah. be, a, yep. be a be a great heel. So and so she's following in that footsteps, um, but she's also a, you know a multiple time uh, women's champion. Uh, and headliner of WrestleMania, and she um, she's just kind of she's still groundbreaking, uh, and she still has a lot of untapped potential. They brought her back because I guarantee you she's getting paid millions of dollars by the yeah, WWE. absolutely. So that's part of the reason is she's making more money than she ever did actually fighting for real. Because between the movies and the WWE, she's making that good money for sure, and, and, and well earned, by the way. Correct. Um, and it, it's interesting, too, because we mentioned the movies, right? She had crossover appeal. Um, she also, I'm pretty sure she, I mean, this is going to sound silly, but grown men like you and I, I think she has great health insurance for life because she has that uh, Screen Actors Guild. Um, <laughs> she's, got the, she's got the union card insurance? Yeah. Uh, so good for her. Yeah. Oh, um, absolutely. absolutely. You know, WWE is not handing that out. So no. um, so she's back in, um, and and nowadays, when she joined, she joined at the right time because there was this there was this women's revolution basically for women's wrestling. So, uh, you know, so she's a figure piece, and you know she is she is definitely at the, she'll always be a main eventer. She'll never she, not. She she's an icon for women's sports, Ronda cor Rousey. Correct. Um, yeah. how is her in ring wrestling technique? So, 
for as for the short time that she's been doing it, uh, she does a pretty good job. Yeah. Okay. Um, she's like, I don't get like I. The reason that you watch her is for the attraction. Right. Um, well, for instance, we'll talk about it. Well, you know what? I'm gonna hold off because we we'll, right. we'll, talk, we'll talk about other guys later. But uh, you know, but she she incorporates MMA into her uh into her in ring uh, abilities and just you know she knows how to work the crowd. Uh, before she left the first time, she she you, her her social media and just the way she was speaking to the crowd, you never knew if she was being real or not. You know, you couldn't tell the lines were blurred, which is a fantastic way to be. Uh, straddling that that line of reality is, is a great way, you know, to to just generate, if not heat, generate interest. So I'm not mad at her for sure. No, and I don't think being the heel is a big stretch for her. No. I think I think she means everything that she says. Right. I I sort of think that like if you are a super competitive athlete for all of your life basically, you can turn that on. Like I don't think she's at home like doing, you know what I mean? Like if you saw her in the street, like I don't think she's trying to do that to you in real life, but I think it wouldn't take much. Right. For her. Right. Uh, you know just and just and in addition to being hyper competitive, she's a super sore loser. Like, for instance, yeah. you know, like if if Michael Jordan was a professional wrestler, he'd be a heel. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, Kobe Bryant too. God rest his soul. Yeah, uh, you know, th that's just that's just who they are, and that's nothing nothing to be ashamed about with that. Um, if we move on, because I'd like to, uh, you know, Ronda Rousey's awesome, but we got to keep going. Uh, we got a guy. I'll, I'm actually going to start off with this guy uh, because his career. We're going to transition to some people who started as pro wrestlers. Uh, and that's Bobby Lashley. Uh, Bobby Lashley is a uh, you know a former uh, United States Armed Forces veteran and just a hulking mountain of a man. I don't know how he doesn't get popped for steroids too. Um, but he is a two-time ECW champion, two-time United States champion, uh, the TNA Impact World Champion, uh, first African American actually to hold that title, uh, the X Division King of the Mountain. Uh, you know what? I just realized something. I'm gonna go ahead and and scrap that TNA situation because if we're talking NWA TNA, it was Ron Killings. But anyway, uh, X Division King of the Mountain, two-time WWE champion, two-time Intercontinental champion. He's got a lot of accolades, and he came uh, into the WWE, and he actually was uh, the other person in the ring when uh, they had the uh, the Battle of the Billionaires with Vince McMahon and Donald Trump. So, you know, he's he's got a lot of notoriety, a uh, lot of big main event uh, status, and he just had some of the best work of his career in the Hurt business this past year. Uh, you know, and, he, and we're hoping to get, uh, you know, more matches out of him, but he, he just came back from injury. So we shall see, you know, what goes on with him. But he's had a, tre a tremendous pro wrestling career, but then he got an itch. And, uh, you know, he was a natural... Uh, you know, a natural athlete, just a, tr a tremendous athlete. And he decided, hey, you know, I got to get in this mixed martial arts thing. So this is where I'm going to turn it over to my boy. Yeah. Bobby Lashley is a good mixed martial arts fighter who has limited experience. Um, he also comes from an amateur wrestling background, and you said he was a veteran. Um, I read today that because he was such a good wrestler, they put him in some kind of a special army program where he could keep competing in wrestling. Uh, this is the same thing that happened to Randy Couture. They went to the military and continued to wrestle. Um, and he got a fair amount of like experience and knowledge. It seems to me he sort of fought for... A, he was wrestling, he fought for a while, and then he went back to wrestling. Um, and I admire that tremendously, that he sort of went to go do his thing. Uh, from Bobby Lashley, I'd like to see more. You yeah. know, I looked at I looked at his uh, you know, rundown of people he's fought. He's never really fought anybody with the big name. I would love to see him compete against. I don't think he would. You know, he's not a top flight heavyweight fighter, but I would love to see him compete against somebody who's maybe in the top ten in Bellator to see how he would do, or somebody ranked outside the top fifteen in UFC to see where he really is, and then just go from there. Right. I mean, I, I could easily see him, you know, just with the with the, the size, the pedigree, the athleticism. I could see him as Bellator champion. I, I don't understand why they're not trying to go that route. I mean, he he's he a cro he doesn't stay there. Yeah. I mean, but and yes, yes. But Scott Coker, I feel like I as the number two 
promotion in the United States, I would want to try and coax him to give him title fights and, and see what he's all about. You know, um, you know, they got the Paramount deal, Paramount Plus, uh, you know, and they got the pay-per-views. I, I would just, I would try and figure out some way to, to give him something. Dangle yeah. That carrot. Yeah. And I just wonder, Bobby Lashley's a little bit on the older side. He I is wonder, getting... I wonder if maybe that, if you're Bobby Lashley, you say like, I, you know, I can make more money doing pro wrestling. I have limited time shelf yeah. life left in my body. Yeah. Uh, you know, a title run is not in me, but is it, I, is, I think is, it's interesting. Isn't he like 10 and two? Like he's got some really like, good record. He's right? like 15 and three. I read. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Josh Barnett trains him. Josh Barnett is a also mixed martial arts pioneer. Right. And so there's pro, like pro there's pro yeah, uh, there's potential there as well. Yeah. But I just I would love to see what happens. Yeah. Uh, and and he we got we got one more to talk about because Bobby Lashley is is the pro wrestler who turned uh you know mixed martial arts star, but there's one person we have to talk about we haven't done so yet and we will. In just a little bit, when we come right back from the break, stick around. We got more mixed tag coming up. Hey, this is the American Wolf, Davy Richards, and you're listening to Mixed Tag and Let the Hunt Begin. Ladies and gentlemen, this is former NWA champion Tim Storm. What's up, everybody? This is Adam Rake of NFL Fantasy Live. This is MLW superstar, the bone collector, Dominic Greeny. And you are listening. You are listening. You are listening to Mixed Tag. The Mixed Tag. To Mixed Tag, the greatest wrestling podcast in the history of the world. Don't miss this. This is the real deal. All right, Tag Gang. I am keeping Blum far, far away from what I'm about to tell you, but I wanted to fill you in about something that's going on with me and my health and the changes I've seen in just a few weeks. Our next partner that we have has a product I've been using every day. It's giving me better gut health. It's keeping me away from pills. Plus, comes in a powder. I've been able to stir it up and, you know, a little vigorously, get the clumps out, and it's got this mild, sweet flavor that I can totally handle. And I couldn't wait to try it. It came so highly recommended by experts and people in the health and wellness industry. It's called Athletic Greens. So what is this stuff? With one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. All the things that I need for sure. By the way, it's been super easy to wake up, get my shower, make some coffee for Jen, grab a scoop and some water. And by the time that baby Nate wakes up, guess what? For the day, I've got my nutrition covered no matter what. It's been really good for me. It's been a relief. Like I said before, I'm going to be on a modified keto low-carb diet. I've been doing that. Guess what? This actually fits. It's even gluten-free, vegan-friendly, dairy-free also. It fits any lifestyle. Athletic Greens supports sleep quality and recovery, and I desperately need that. But guess what? Things have actually been better. It supports mental clarity alertness, and my family definitely appreciates that as well. Plus, a lot of multivitamins don't actually get the chance to be properly absorbed. Uh, they've done studies to show that a lot of products out there are kind of junk. This is high-quality ingredients that are easily and more readily digestible in a powder form that mixes well and tastes great. It's cheaper than buying all the supplements separately. So I'm in. Plus, for every purchase, Athletic Greens donates to organizations to help get nutritious food to kids in need, including No Kid Hungry here in the United States. I'm really happy to support something like that. So right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is giving you one free year supply. One, one, one more time. A free year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash emerging. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash E-M-E-R-G-I-N-G to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. (laughs) 
All right, Chad Yang, we are back, and we are back for one more person of interest in this episode. We're talking about pro wrestlers and MMA stars that, you know, the worlds combine sometimes and they collide. And this person was a pro wrestler first and then turned MMA star. And, uh, I mean, we got, you knew he was going to be on this list. He had to be a freak athlete. Uh, you know, a collegiate NCAA wrestling champion. Uh, when he left the WWE, and he, I think it was 2006, and he is like 26, 27, 28, something like that, only playing high school football, and he made the almost made the cut for the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, that's unbelievable. It's insane to think about the athleticism of this guy. Uh, 2002 King of the Ring winner, youngest WWE champion at age 25 at the time a seven-time WWE champion, three-time Universal champion, New Japan IWGP heavyweight champion for you internet nerds, and uh, the Royal Rumble winner in 2003 and then 2022 as well. It is the beast. The next big thing, Brock Lesnar. I can't, I'm not going to do my Paul Heyman the way he does it because only Paul Heyman can do that. Uh, the beast incarnate. Um, he is ridiculous. Brock Lesnar is the next big thing. He also defeated the undertaker and broke the WrestleMania streak. I mean, he has ridiculous accolades. He's going to go down as one of the greatest of all time for sure. Uh, he is now an attraction. Uh, he also is a very polarizing figure in the world of professional wrestling because he doesn't have to work a full-time schedule, but you know, he'll take you to suplex city and he won't even be upset about it. A natural heel. Like we talked about, by the mm -hmm. way, like just not a, not a nice, happy person. Um, but you know his his anybody who listens to mixed tag knows about his wrestling career, but they might not be familiar with his UFC and and other uh, you know established uh, you know accolades in the world of mixed martial arts. So Uncle Blum, yes. go ahead chat with us, man. Yeah. So Brock Lesnar, you said even Brock Lesnar grew up on a farm in I think it was North Dakota, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Or he got into wrestling. He sort of worked his way up to becoming a heavyweight champion his senior year at the University of Minnesota. And Brock Lesnar is a really, really, really good professional athlete. He's a special athlete, regardless of anything. Um, he, out of college, uh, he sort of transitioned to the WWF, but he always sort of had that urge to fight because he is a really, like, tough uh, guy who comes from this kind of background. Uh, he got into the UFC, uh, what was that, like 2009? Yeah. Uh, and by like 2013, he was the heavyweight champion. Um, Keith, do you remember you sent me his book? Yes, I do. I walked by it the other day. It's sitting up on one of my shelves. It's honestly, it's one of the two or three worst books I've ever read. Oh, I, I have I have thousands of books upstairs. That's It's got to be in the bottom five. So for your listeners, don't read that piece of garbage. It, there are much better martial mixed martial arts books. Written by a kindergartner. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, the, there are much more, much better ones, much more interesting ones, so don't do that. But on the back, it says, and I when I read this, the back as I was walking by, it, it gave me pause. It says, he is the biggest pay-per-view draw in the world. And I, th I was like, eh, get out of here. And then I thought about it. When that book was written... That was probably right. Yeah. Between his WWF success and the being the heavyweight champion, can you think of anybody who would have been responsible for more pay-per-view buys at any point? I mean, maybe, maybe, you know, if you so if you're talking like like we have to take the attitude era and and put that into a right. uh, into a separate s stratosphere. But when you're combining the two, absolutely not, because, you know, he was responsible for, you know, big time WWE pay-per-views. And then, you know, he for Dana White, Dana when Dana White put him on a pay-per-view. It's a big deal. It's and 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 the numbers didn't even compare. Right? Like he right. was put he was getting him on pay-per-views. He he was trying to find ways to get him on more pay-per-views because of how much the revenue that was generating. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it wasn't it wasn't even close. And I don't think it's been close. You know, because now the business model is a little bit different because you've yeah. got, you know, streaming services. You've, there's so much competition for everybody's time and energy. But there was a period of time 
where the UFC was definitely obviously bigger than boxing, but it, but you know you could you could make the argument that the pay per views were were doing better than a lot of the pro wrestling as well. Yeah, yep. You know, and and a, and a big chunk of it was him. He was yeah. the other big star during Ronda Rousey's time, and he could really fight. This, yeah. this is not a bullshit uh, kind of situation. Uh, Brock was also extremely steroidy. He's super juicy. Um, he would weigh in. The heavyweight limit is 265 pounds. He would cut down to 265 yeah. and step into the cage at like 290. Yeah. <laughs> 295 uh, back overnight. Um, and he later got caught using steroids to nobody's surprise. Yeah. The thing I think that Brock Lesnar is and remains is he is the like prototypical alpha male. Uh-huh. Like, I come from a farm, I fight, I sort of am a, like a rough guy. I'll like I'll, I'll fight you in real life. I don't care. I got the impression from his book that he's kind of standoffish. Yes, he, he's is he famously like private? That was the other thing I got. Extremely private. Hates people. Doesn't want to talk. Uh, you know, like he he does. He just he he would just rather farm. He would rather farm and hunt. And he would yeah. Like he 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 wrestles to make. I mean, he's he's very vocal about the fact that whatever he does. It's to make money. Like he's just now finally enjoying professional wrestling. Right. Um, but for years it was literally the money. And so you'd have to pry him off the farm, pry him away from hunting or fishing or fighting or whatever he did. Uh, and he, and he's just not a, he's just not a nice guy. He doesn't want to talk to you. He doesn't want to be the face of the company. He's uh, kind of the modern day John Wayne. Yeah. Yeah. I, except for he, he could really fight. Like John Wayne played a tough guy. Right. In, in the movies. He, Brock's a tough guy in real life. Yeah. Um, do, do you but, remember when he, uh, I, the guy's nickname was the Cowboy, and he was the heavyweight, and uh, and it was like his, his his second or third fight after Frank Mir, and and he punched the guy so hard that the dude like rolled like cart like like yes cartwheeled backwards. Yes, that was Heath the, Herring. He punched Heath yes. Herring so hard. He flipped backwards. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was really impressive. The other the other most impressive moment, in my opinion, of Brock's career was, do you remember when he fought Frank Mir? Yeah. The second time? Yes. So the first time, Frank Mir beat him with a toehold. Yeah. Um, and then the second time, there had been a good deal of heat. Uh, Frank Mir's idea was to keep Brock Lesnar close so he couldn't, uh, sort of arch up and punch him from the ground. Brock Lesnar is so strong, he almost killed Frank Mir <laughs> chest to chest with him. Like, he was so, his hands were so, you know, he had those big, he still has them probably. Like, yeah. the big, the bi hands are so big, they didn't make gloves for him. They right, they had special, yeah. special order 5X gloves. Yeah. Um, But he was so powerful, he, he beat the crap out of Frank Mir chest to chest with him there's yeah. no room to root really get any force from your elbows or your fist but he was able to do it right just now, from his ridiculous strength and we talk about in jujitsu jujitsu one of the principles is that you do want to be if you're right. if you're chest to chest the punches and any kind of strikes are really ineffective except if you're brock lesnar <laughs> right, right, right yeah if you're brock lesnar you need space if you're fight brock lesnar you need space and then you need to run the hell away uh my favorite uh, I guess match of all time MMA for him was when he showed a ton of guts uh, because I, I actively rooted against him. Like I, I thought he was a jerk and, and wanted him to lose. And uh, he went up against uh, Shane Corwin. Yes. And, and Shane, you look at, the, they had the promo for the two gloves and Shane's fist was actually somehow bigger than Brock's. Yeah, he was also a big, huge guy. And, uh, and, you know, and, and it's the first round and Shane rocks him and, sh and Brock is in trouble. And Shane is just beating the bejesus out of him. And he and he makes he makes to the second round, right? The the bell rings, and in the second round, Brock somehow uh, I think he got what like a, like a north south choke. It was an arm triangle. An arm triangle. That's what it was. Yes, an arm triangle. And you know, and that's not you don't see those you don't see those slapped on, and they don't usually win fights. Uh, you know, but those guys were too was so exhausted. But here's Brock Lesnar just gutting it out. Getting getting the exhausted Shane Corwin in the uh, in the arm triangle and and you know and winning the day 
And that may or may not have been the fight where he also had that killer promo at the end. That was uh, that was a different that, fight. A different fight where they were uh, they were sponsored by Budweiser at the time, and he was yelling about how much he hates it and how yeah. he drinks Miller Lite or something. Yeah, he's yeah. Like, he's like, my favorite part of that fight was Shane Carwin. When Shane Carwin really kicked the crap out of him in the first round, yeah. But he blew out his arms and block, Brock's face is all uh, bloody, yeah. and he comes out for the second round like sticks his hand up to give Carwin five and winks at him. Like, yeah. oh, I know you're I know you're exhausted now. Takes him down, <laughs> arm triangles him. And I was like, oh God, like that's like you survive that, you're still good, and you can do that to that guy. Like, yeah, this guy's legitimate. Like yeah. that's a problem for the rest of you heavyweights. And and that's like you know, I have my guys that I, that like they get my re- they have my respect, but they really get my respect after I don't like them. Just right. because, just like you know, Lennox Lewis was one guy, Vitaly Klitschko, Tyson Fury for boxing for those guys. But Brock after that after that Corwin fight, uh, really like it changed for me because I was like, all right, dude, you're 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 legit because you went up against a guy who's the same size as you, you know, and came through, and so. You know, much respect, much respect to Brock Lesnar. Yeah, no, that's 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 what I'm saying. He's a really good athlete and really yeah. good, really good fighter. That's that's as legit as it gets. If yeah. Shane Carwin punched you, your head would cave in. <laughs> Just one of those. <laughs> I'd have a whole other you know side of my skull with uh, you know cracked. That's right. It'd be a second brain surgery. Shoo. Um. So you know, I don't want to stop you if you want to keep talking, Brock. Uh, if you've got more to say, please say it. I got that's that's it. He is the prototypical prototypical alpha male. Yeah, I think a lot of the people who claim to be this now were inspired by him. That's what I think. Yeah, absolutely. And you you got a guy right now who, um, if he was smart, would go the WWE route. I just don't think that he. I don't think that he could. I feel like he's got so much of a potty mouth that he'd never be able to, to, to tame it down. And that's Conor McGregor, who is just, who's basically just, just ripping off Ric Flair and all kinds of other guys. He knows what he's doing. Um, but his career, I feel like in MMA is so uh, tarnished at this point and just kind of over. Um, and he, and he's just so, he, he would be great. He'd be a great professional wrestler. What? I just, I just think he has too much money. Like it's yeah. a lot of the people hang on because it's a good paycheck or like Rhonda does, right. You know, you work how many, how many days a year do you think she works? You know, people like her get the chance to, 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 to really call their shot. I mean, for a while yeah. where Brock Lesnar was working, I want to say like 10 dates a year, you know, sure. uh, where most of the guys are doing 300 some. So, right. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a brutal industry. Um, yep. but, but those guys with the money just can mm-hmm. call their shots. And I guarantee you, Conor McGregor is a, I hate him. I hate him, but he's such a draw. He's an undeniable mm-hmm. draw. So I feel like if, if Vince McMahon said, Hey man, like, or AEW said, Hey, what's it going to take? You know, he, he's going to be making, you know, def- he's going to be the highest paid guy on the roster for sure. Yeah. And he probably is kind of a great, probably worth $400 million. Um, so I don't see a future in professional wrestling for him. Right. Not anymore. But, but if he would choose to do it, I think he'd be great at it. Yeah. I, I agree. Um, and, but other than that, like, I don't see, you know, there's, there's no, there's no reason. Now we could, you know, for another time, another day, we can talk about the, 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 the the fighter pay scale for the UFC, which is sure. ridiculously low compared to other sports. Um, yeah, but or the evolution of trash talk and how it's become more like professional wrestling over the years. Oh, absolutely! And it's yeah. so inter- it's so interesting to see how they how they promote the fights. It's definitely taking a lot from pro wrestling. Yeah, and and in some instances from Muhammad Ali, which kind of mm-hmm. ties a little nice little bow between there our two sh- our two shows. Uh, so with that. Michael Blum, any parting thoughts? First of all, we should we should just talk real quick about explain yourself. Sure. Thank you for that. Um, I host, if you'd like to hear more from me, I host a podcast with my partner in crime who is named Diddy Bread. That's what they call her in the streets. It's called Explain Yourself. We're on a little bit of hiatus currently, but if you want some back episodes, um, they are available on all of the major platforms. Uh, our show is a little bit different. It's not about professional wrestling. We like to think of it uh, as a smorgasbord of interesting. The idea yep. is basically that you come, we find people who claim to know a lot about something, and then they just merely come on and explain themselves. We range from uh, tribalism, feminism, uh, word games, Kanye West, and authenticity. 
uh, comedy. All, we run the gamut based on the guest. So if you're interested, um, you can look us up. Give us a like. All the rating. Um, if you'd like to talk to me, I have an email address set up for this kind of thing specifically. I, I like talking to folks. I'm always happy to connect uh, with other people. So that's blummichael80 at gmail.com. If you email me, I'll be happy to talk to you. Um, that's that's sort of what it is. And Keith, I'm going to make an audition for a return. You may not know this, but I was actually at the last ECW event ever. Ooh, I did not know that. Uh-huh, at the Hammerstein Ballroom in New York City. All right. I, so... Like, sh- shortly after, I was actually there, um... Shortly after they went, they they were bought by the WW. They were this WWF at the time. Uh, yeah. So if you'd like to talk about that, I will come back. I would have to refresh my memory exactly what happened. That was like early two thousands, two thousand two. We were still in college. Yeah. Um, but I could I could give you what it was like to watch ECW close. Oh, I I definitely. You you're sold. You're you're coming back at some point I'll, for sure. I'll come and, back. By the way, I, I'd like to go ahead and highlight one of your episodes from Explain Yourself. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, especially Tag Gang, you know, you're hearing us talk about MMA. Um, you know, uh, Michael Blum and I are both Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu uh, enthusiasts. We we love the idea of it. We love the philosophy. We love the practice of it. Um, he actually has an episode about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, uh, you know, his experience, and he also gets to, uh, I believe you interviewed your uh, your sensei, correct? Yes, I, I interviewed my professor, whose name is yeah. Rafael Jacendo, who is a world-class Jiu-Jitsu practitioner, um, and he sort of talks about how he got there to be a high-level professional athlete and sort of the philosophy and why you should come and do it. He gives a little bit of the history. Yeah. Um, I can't. I haven't heard that one in a while. It probably makes fun of me for a little bit. Um, but did. I think that does a really good. Uh, he's a really good spokesman for jujitsu, and not only jujitsu as a martial art, which he's excellent at, uh, but jujitsu as the way of life, right? So I, I've known Hoffa for years, and I've been to his house. Like I know his wife. And he truly carries out the way. So I think uh, that's an interesting episode as well. Yeah, I I really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, I got to I obviously got to like know you a little bit differently. You know, mm-hmm. because you know on, on that level. Um, so I I do appreciate that, and I and I always in, enjoy different philosophies. And and like you said, uh, there's so many different layers to jujitsu. Um, it it does a lot for people besides just the sport aspect. So or the self defense aspect, but that's for another time. Uh, this has been a fun episode. Thank you so much, Michael Blum, for coming on today. Keith, it was a pleasure. Thank you for uh, having me, my old friend. Yeah, man. And uh, we're going to have to eventually, uh, you know, may- maybe I might have you as the special guest referee for whenever I do uh, get the chance to Indian leg wrestle Dirty Dave again, because I'm going to need somebody to call it fair down the middle. I'll call it fair down the middle. You give me three and a half hours. I'll be on, I'll be on the first thing smoking up, up the coast. Excellent, excellent, and uh, shout out one more time to uh, to Greer White, who uh, who by the way, Jared, I spoke to Jared, and Jared said that that man has the smoothest podcast voice you ever heard, and I can't can't disagree, man. That that is just a, a soothing, calming voice. Well, your dad is amazing. Yeah, I mean he's amazing for so many reasons. A lot of them I wouldn't say in public. But <laughs> <laughs> first, Greer, I mean, there's so many. His voice is unbelievable, right? It's yeah. like butter melting into my ears. Yeah. But the other thing is your dad is a very professional Joner. Yeah, he is. Like, yeah. if you need somebody to goof on you out of nowhere, Gre- Greer Wright is your number one pick, and there's yeah. no number two pick. Like, he's so far ahead of everybody else. I mean, he's pl- is he still playing with the Funsters? Uh, he's, on, he's on a little hiatus, uh, He but we're hoping to get him back. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He's, so he's taking a little break, but, I mean, he's been – Seriously, playing in a band for what two hundred fifty-five years? Just kidding, <laughs> give or take. Uh, yeah, I, dude, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, Greer's amazing. Yeah, he absolutely is, and and uh, I'm gonna have him back on the show at some point, uh, because you know when he's on, the show just gets a little bit better. But it just uh, gets better, and the uh, probably the downloads go through the roof. Yeah, man. You know, like I was, I was very. It was neat to get like different people coming on, uh, and checking things out. So it was cool. Yep. Um, you know, he definitely, he definitely brings that extra flair. 
And sure we, got, we got new, we got new listeners and it was neat because people then started checking out the back episodes. So, yep. um, but you know, we, we truly appreciate him. I truly appreciate you. And this has been another episode of mixed tag from the wrestling encyclopedia, Mr. Keith white, three time Indian leg wrestling champion. And of course, Dr. Michael Blum, the muscle hamster from explain yourself. This is mixed tag. And we are out.